what I felt God put on my heart today is to talk a little bit more about the mystery of the manna. My last sermon, I made some comparisons between something God did in the Old Testament and a a parable that Jesus told in the New Testament. And if you remember, when when God delivered the Israelites, or the Hebrew children, out of Egypt, they had been slaves for 400 years. They had lived under the authority and the dominion of man, and they hated it. Anybody know why they hated it? It's a very biblical trick question here for you. Because God did not create us to have dominion over each other. He created us to have dominion over the things he created, but not each other. We're created to love each other and serve each other. And to live in 400 years underneath someone else's domination, it was horrible. And anyone who lives under the dominion of anybody else, we, that's why you don't like it. Even if you're, you think you're free and you've got a boss who puts the thumbscrews on you and, and, you know, a bad boss. I know there's good bosses too, but the point is we're not created to live under the dominion of others but under the dominion of him, and we are supposed to love one another. And so when God delivered them, they had been slaves for 400 years. They come out into the wilderness, and all of a sudden they're presented with understanding and facing the reality of how do we provide for ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? How do we have life? I mean, just all those questions arose immediately. As soon as they walked out into the wilderness, and they they got tricked into criticizing Aaron and Moses, their leaders, and then God got angry, and he said, no, they're not criticizing you. They're criticizing me. And they got rebuked, and, and God basically said, okay, I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to show you. I'm going to provide so much food for you. And that was when he provided the manna. The manna was a heavenly bread that they had never seen before. And God gave specific instructions about when it would appear, when it was to be collected, when it was not to be collected, how much was to be collected. And It was a physical lesson like we would have a lab in school today. It went from being theoretical to hands-on of how provision comes. And God used a physical substance to impart and teach a message that the physical substance that you put into your body is not that which really sustains you. It is a picture, and it's a tool. And what really sustains you is the word that you receive from me about that natural substance and how you respond to that. Because if you don't hear the word, you're not going to know when it's going to appear. And if you don't hear the word and believe it and receive it and respond to it accordingly, you're not going to interact with that which I've provided to you. And so one way or the other, you're going to be missing out. You're going to be in lack without the word. It was not the bread that was sustaining them. It was God's word. And that's why in Deuteronomy, a couple of books later, Moses said, man does not live by bread alone. God tested you in the wilderness to teach you this lesson, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I love, what I love about that verse and that promise, that scripture, are the words in it. We do not live by bread alone. He wasn't giving a rule or a a ritual to follow. He was explaining a reality, and I'm going to point that out with more biblical evidence in just a moment. But he said, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we can get tripped up and stumble over, okay, what does that mean, the word? Because there's different forms of the word, but it's all the word. Jesus was the word in the flesh. And Jesus existed before he was born in the flesh. And then there's the graphe word, the written word. And when Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the New Testament had not been written yet. And so there's all kinds of opportunities to get caught up in debating and in, in doubting what is, what is really the word. But my definition that I believe is supported by Scripture is the word is whatever God is saying about a situation or a moment in time, whatever his will is and whatever he's expressed. 
The cool thing about the way God does things is he'll, he says it in many, he, he backs things up. He, he says things and he has said things in writing. And he allows us as mankind to be a part of that process in transcribing or translating that written word. Every single one of you is a translation of the written word of God because when the word becomes flesh in you, then you translate and you put on display what that reality is to the world. If you get it right every single time, please stand up so we can give you some applause. <laughs> I know I don't. So man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want to ask you a question. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden? What did they have before they fell? They had intimacy, proximity with the Father, and they could talk to him and spend time with him and hear exactly what he was saying. Have you ever had, tried to have a conversation with someone that you don't have a relationship with? Uh, that's what I do in my job. My job is continuously starting conversations with people that don't know me. <laughs> Some people identify with what I'm talking about. Uh, in the natural world, the carnal definition would be called sales, but really... Uh, my job is to have conversations with people and to pique their interest and get them to make commitments. But if you don't have a relationship with someone, it's almost impossible to have a conversation with them. And if you have a relationship with someone and there's something between you, it's even harder to have a conversation sometimes because you know something's not right. And so Adam and Eve had a relationship where there was nothing between them and God, no physical distance, no, no relational problems. And then when they chose to walk by sight and not by faith and to put their faith and their trust in a conflicting or a contradicting message to what they'd been told by their loving father. Something entered into that relationship and they were separated. And God didn't even have to get in their face and say, hey, you're in sin now. They just, all of a sudden, they were ashamed. They knew, I can't be in your presence anymore. And so that's another explanation about how God doesn't push us away. Our sin separates us and pushes us from him. It's like two magnets. If you've ever tried to put two magnets on the same poles, they push each other apart. They, and nothing can put them back together without extra force. But see, the thing is, God doesn't force himself on us. He actually removes that thing that separates us. I love the word sin in Spanish. Sin means without. And so when man and Adam and Eve chose to, to rebel, they entered into without. They, wanted to, they entered into a withoutness. And so whenever we commit a sin or we are just living in sin, it's, it's just one depiction of what it means to be without. You can, you can enter into a transaction, a business transaction, that you've been instructed by the Lord not to, and it can fail. And that was sin. It doesn't mean that God's up there saying, you offended me and you've, you know, you've broken the holy word in First Hesitations 3.23. It just means that that was without him. If you choose to walk off a cliff and be without the foundation that he put you on, he didn't do it. He didn't get mad at you and say, I'm going to punish you. For, he just, when you choose to be without him, you are entering into darkness and, and you're, you're separating yourself. That's the deception. And so this whole thing, the mystery of the manna, is all throughout Scripture. It's on display all throughout Scripture. Think of your favorite Bible stories. From Mary saying yes to the angel. From Peter walking on water to you name it. Every single story, you can bring it back to this simple scenario. Man was in a situation. God spoke. Man either heard, understood, believed, confessed, and received, 
or he didn't. They can all be boiled down to that same premise, and it's told over and over and over and over again. Just like we talk about what baptism is, we talk about it over and over again, so it gets down into our bones, into the cells of our being. So that was Old Testament. Then Jesus told a parable in the New Testament. He talked about the parable of the sower. The sower goes out and sows seed, and it falls on four different types of soil. And based on the type of soil that the seed falls on, there's a different result. The problem was not with the seed, it was with the types of soil. And later on, his disciples come to him and they ask him for more information. Not everybody asked for more information. Some people just heard at the seaside when Jesus preached the sermon in the boat, and then they left. And then when the disciples came, Jesus said, this is the most important parable. If you don't get this, how are you going to understand anything else I'm saying? So there's a progression to saying yes to what God is doing and saying. And I'm going to point that out in Scripture here in just a moment. But there is an important part of being in the moment with God and saying yes to whatever seed or manna is presented to you because it's cumulative and it's exponential and it, and it affects tomorrow's seed. Now, the difference with the manna was that was not, that was, that was more of a general provision type of, of seed, but it was, it, was a, it was a picture of God's word. In the parable of the sower, that parable is recounted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each one of them has a little bit of a different nugget. In Matthew, it says that the seed is the word of the kingdom. And when you understand that, you understand why the first soil that it fell on, which was a rocky ground, is the one where it says, when Jesus gives the explanation, that Satan himself came to steal. See, God providing for you is one thing. That There's, there, there's one level of knowing that God is and that he, he's a provider and he's, he's real. There's another level of knowing that he has a specific assignment for you and he has an agenda and a will and a kingdom that he wants to come into this realm and you have a role to play. And if you don't know what your specific assignment is and you don't have the understanding of what he means and what he wants, you'll misunderstand and misinterpret and you'll be ineffective. Satan may not be able to keep you from going to heaven, but he'll keep heaven from coming through you to here. And so... I don't think it's loose words when Jesus said the enemy himself comes to steal the seed that was sown on the path that did not go into the soil. The enemy is threatened directly by the message of the kingdom. And so if you, if you look at the Gospels and the story of the disciples, there were, there's this problem that the disciples have. And at least four scenarios that I know of, they were preoccupied with something that they didn't need to be preoccupied with. And it was bread. Feeding the 5,000. They said, how are we going to do this? We don't have the money to pay for this. Feeding the 4,000. They basically said the same thing. After Jesus fed the 5,000, they got into a boat, and Jesus warned them, don't beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And they said, oh my gosh, it's because we didn't bring any bread with us. And Jesus is like, uh, you're not getting it? We just fed 5,000 people with some crumbs, you know. Uh, but then there was another time where Jesus was ministering to the woman at the well, and the disciples showed up, and they said, you need to eat. And Jesus said, I've got food that you don't even know about. It, the, my food is to do the will of my Father. And if you've ever been in a situation, a life-and-death situation, or an intense, exciting situation, maybe watching your favorite team win a championship, 
There are times in life where food becomes less important. You don't even, it's not even on your radar. I remember when I was in the, when we were in the hospital with our oldest daughter, Dylan, there, there was, it was such an intense battle. People were continuously reminding us, you need to eat. They would bring us food and, 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 but I believe that's, that's a, a, a small inverted picture of what Jesus, Jesus was so focused on doing what his father was doing and saying that he did not care about the things that were pre, natural man is preoccupied with. And if you go to Mark 6.52, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 51 and then 52. And then he went, so this is, they're, they're on the storm. They're in the middle of the, um, the sea. Jesus walks on the water. And then Peter does, and then they all get in the boat. And so when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, to a natural, unrenewed mind, that would seem like an incredible thing. I mean, doesn't that, isn't that what God wants is for us to be amazed and to marvel at him? God is great. You know, I'm not being, I'm just, I'm just trying to illustrate. I like to, I like to be... <laughs> dramatic sometimes but I mean religion would tell you that that's what God is after is for you to be marvel at him there were three different groups of people when Jesus got baptized one of them said oh I just heard thunder when God spoke another said oh it is God but it's not for us and then there was a third group that heard the message religion would like you to be as close to the flame without jumping in the flame and just go there's a flame but it's not for me and the next verse says what was really happening is they had, for they had not, the reason why they marveled and were amazed is because they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. And that's why I say it's important whenever there's manna on the ground or seed sown, it's important that we acknowledge it and go after it and, and receive it into ourselves because it can affect the next scenario or situation that we're in. They had just seen Jesus multiply food for 5,000 people and here they are in a boat in a storm, and they're debating on whether or not they brought enough bread. And then when Jesus does a miracle, they're amazed and they marvel at it. But it says in Scripture that the reason why they were amazed and marveled is because they didn't understand what he did the last time. And so it's, it's, the onus is on us to go out and pick up the manna. The onus is on us to receive the seed and to say, okay, what condition is this, the soil of my soul? It says in Scripture that man lives by faith. We live by faith and not by sight, and that Jesus came to give us abundant life. I know there are many, there have been many times in my life where I didn't, have a, I didn't feel like I was experiencing the abundant life. And I think it's not unfair to say that we probably know many people who believe in Jesus, but they're not experiencing abundant life. That doesn't mean gold-plated toilet seats and Rolls Royces and, you know, abundant life is fullness of joy, it's peace, it's provision for every need, it's, it's power, it's wisdom, it's understanding, it's, it's knowing the will and the word of the Lord in any, in any situation. I want, I've been getting more and more stirred up as I've been, as God's been putting this on my heart, but I, I want that. I've, there have been times in my life where I've experienced that supernatural, dynamic, dy- dunamis, that's the Greek word, explosive power of God where I've seen things happen and one of them was when we were in the hospital with our oldest daughter Dylan in case y'all don't know she's with Jesus now and um, 
she had a three-year battle with a brain tumor. And that story that you told actually was one of the testimonies that God used to encourage us and give us hope and faith. And for the record, we don't believe that it, was, it ended the way that it was supposed to. We um, believe we lost a battle. But the, the point is, one day after the doctors had given up and she got really sick, she was in the hospital, and she went blind, we got her up to play to go out into the hallway and to, to be in the play area, and we noticed that she was walking like this and she couldn't see. And that night, all the doctors, the four different teams of specialists came in and they checked her out and they said, there's nothing we can do. We can't operate. And she's not going to be able to see again. And the next morning, I was in her room and I was sitting there on her bed just praying. And I heard the word of the Lord. And I, I heard God say to me, declare over her she's healed and she sees. And I was like, man, there's doctors and nurses out there. They're going to think I'm crazy and I'm She's healed and she sees. And then I felt them say to me again, no, she's healed and she sees. Declare it. And so I said, she's healed and she sees. And a few minutes later, I went to go get some lunch. And when I walked back in the room, she went like this and she tracked with me as I walked across the room. And then a few hours later, when it got dark, she looked out to the window and she said, Daddy, I see stars. And the next morning we got her. And we took her to another play area that she used to love to go to. And she grabbed me by my index finger and she steered me away from nurses and around corners to an area where she wanted to go. And there was this little red block on the floor and she bent down and she picked it up. And she said, look, Daddy, there's, there's a whole bigger story behind all that. But that was one of those moments where I heard from heaven and earth circumstances moved. And just because I didn't see that all the time doesn't mean that that wasn't available. It doesn't mean that that's not what God wanted. And a couple years later, I was in another situation. I was, I was, this was after she had gone to, to heaven. And God told me that I was going to end up telling my story. And as I told my story, that he was going to explain things to me that I had not understood before. And I've shared that story before. That's not where I'm going right now. But a year or two after that, I ran into a guy at a, a business conference trade show thing. He was a believer, young guy. He's actually a business partner and friend of mine now. And we got to talking about the things of the Lord. And he said, I want to go to lunch. I want to hear your story. So I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting for him to arrive at Thai Cottage in Bel Air. And as I'm sitting there, I hear the word of the Lord again. You're going to tell the story and his confirmation of the things that you're saying are true. Someone's going to pay for your lunch. And... I was supposed to tell him that, and I, w- and I didn't have the guts to do it. I got, and I was like, I don't know if I said this or if the Lord just gave it to me, but like immediately after that, I was like, okay, God, if that's really you, then show me who it is. And there were two groups of people, and he, didn't, he said it'll be one of the two groups of people that you see walking in. And there was one family, and then there was a man and his son. And so by the time my friend got there, I, for- I had forgotten who was where in the restaurant and whatnot. And I I chickened out. I didn't tell him what I was supposed to tell him. And as we're sitting there, and I'm barely eating because I'm not thinking about food. I'm thinking about kingdom stuff. And I'm sitting here telling my story and sharing with him thing after thing that God had done. Like that time when I said, she's healed and she sees. And And I'm just, I'm talking about eternal, you know, spiritual food. Before, like my food, my he had been eating and my plate still had food on it. And I was 
we were kind of at the end of our time together, and we started looking up, oh, we need to get a check, and all of a sudden, this man and his son leans over and he goes, excuse me, I want you to know that as a father, thank you for talking about the things of the Lord in front of my son, and I've paid for your lunch to say thank you. And those are small examples. They're cool. They're dramatic. They're, they're, they're very poignant examples, but they're, they're pictures of what does it look like when we hear the word of the Lord? It can be just as dramatic and powerful as to stop at a stop sign and not go when the light turns green and someone runs a red light. It can be which way to go in a conversation or in your thought process. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what the external circumstance is. The manna and the seed are pictures of what God has for us, his word. He is speaking he will not be denied. It says twice in Psalms that a fool says in his heart there is no God. And that's like someone walking out into the wilderness and saying, there's no deer out here, I don't see any animals, and expecting to interact with nature and creation. God will not be mocked. What I love about God's word, and, and I wanted to share this a little bit earlier, but it's a good time to do it now, was that he speaks on so many different levels, and he speaks in a way that confirms what he's already said multiple different times. And he could do it, but he doesn't. But he could say, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. And one of my favorite examples, and I, I stumbled across this, comes from Genesis chapter 5. And if you've got your Bible, I'd like you to check it out. And I want to see if this looks as powerful and dramatic to you as it really is, because it's not just to me. This is actually really cool. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. And Adam lived 100, and it goes on and on, and I'm not going to read it because it's really long. But it's a genealogy, and it's all these different people's names. And it goes from Seth to Enosh to Kenan to Mahalel, Jer Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. And at first glance, especially in our translated, transcribed English language, it just looks like a bunch of boring words. But like I've said before, God, he's like the ultimate screenwriter, script writer, playwright. He's got Easter eggs hidden all throughout in Scripture and in our lives and in everything. Did you know that that, that is actually the names of these 10 people in this order is a presentation of the gospel because each one of their names has a meaning. And when you put the meaning of their names together in the order that their names appear, the gospel message appears. And I'm going to read it for you. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal or frail or miserable. Kenan, sorrow. Mahalel, the blessed God. Jared, shall come down. Enoch, commencement or teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, despairing. Noah, comfort or rest. When you put those words together, you can look at the genealogy with more insight in the sequence of Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, reads in English, man is appointed moral sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Don't say that God's not speaking. 
it's our privilege and our opportunity to enter into the yes, this side of our limited perspective and ability. Doesn't matter how much you can see or not see, there's, there's more things unseen than what you can see with your natural eyes. Even in the natural world, there are billions and billions of tiny little creatures on all of our bodies called bacteria. Some of them are bad, but most of them are good. There are, there are stars in the heavens that are bigger than you can even wrap your mind around, much less even see because they're so far away. But just because we don't see these things does not cause them to not exist. And just because we aren't, we're not aware, we can't comprehend what they are, does not mean we're not affected by them. Astrophysicists have, are starting to come to the conclusion, some, that the universe is so perfectly set up so that we can have life here on this planet. But when the veil is fully lifted and we are able to see everything that we couldn't see before, that is when it will be too late to make a yes or no vote. God created a kingdom that we could enter into only by relationship and trust. See, Adam and Eve tried to live by bread alone without knowing it. It wasn't the fruit. It was the instruction about the fruit that allowed them to be his representatives and to interact with him and intimacy and to have authority. And like the centurion said, I'm a man under authority. When I say something, someone does it. You don't have authority if you're not submitted to authority. And the only thing they had to do was to say submitted to one command, and they had all of heaven as their resource. That's what Jesus came to bring back. That's the mystery of the manna, that when it's there, pick it up and take it. And the, the manna itself is not what sustains you. It's the instruction about it from the one who gave it that tells you how, when, and where to get it. He speaks, you hear, you understand, you believe, you confess, you receive. Just like the disciples, because of the hardness of their heart and their lack of understanding, missed out on what God was doing in the next. That's, that, that picture's in reverse. When we do understand and we do make it a point to press in, because the disciples did good things, they pressed in and they said, we want to understand. When you do do that, that allows and enables you to enter in more. So every service, when we say yes in worship, I believe there's a cumulative effect. I believe that the next time we get together, there's going to be more that's available to us. And we carry that with us as we go from this place. And so the, the, the mystery of God's word is on display, and it has been, and it will always be. And it's our invitation to enter in and say yes. Whether we've received salvation from our sins and that withoutness has been removed, or whether or not we've entered into the abundant life that he has for us, or whether or not we have entered into discipling others, which is also a part of the abundant life. It doesn't start and stop with one thing. It's continuous, it's cumulative, and it's exponential, and it builds, and it's about intimacy, and it's about him. And the way he gets his glory is when we say yes to him. If Last point, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Stop there. All that speaks of who he is and his glory and what's going on in his realm. Look at how, that, look at how the Lord's prayer ends. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever and ever. It starts and stops with him getting the glory. But the way he chose to do it is backwards. And it's weird, especially to our world and the way we think about things. Look at what's in between those two things. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Would you like to be forgiven the way that you forgive others? Or... <laughs> Because that's how you get for, I mean, it, it's not about going to heaven. It's, it's, it, that's a whole other teaching. But there is, there is a correlation between how you forgive others and the effects of your sin in your life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All of that is a picture of the relationship between God speaking and us hearing, understanding, believing, when you believe with your heart, you're justified. When you confess with your mouth, I forgot the rest of the verse. <laughs> you believe and then you confess and then you receive. That's how you see heaven on earth is through us hearing and saying, you, O oh God, our Lord, I hear what you say and I say yes to it. Let it be done to me according to thy word like Mary. The word becomes flesh. And then all of a sudden, the invisible God is put on display in the lives of his children who bear his likeness, and they, they say what he says, and they feel what he feels, and they put on dis display what he's thinking and what he wants at all times, and, and, it, and he gets glory in a way that Satan and no other entity ever could, because he's not doing it through manipulation and coercion and force. He's doing it through willful intimacy and relationship. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can say yes or no. You've given us the opportunity and the freedom to make that choice. We realize that sometimes we are deceived into saying no. And that's why it's so good to avoid many words, like it says in Proverbs. We see now more than ever that your kingdom and all the spiritual realm works through agreement and the expression of that agreement through our words. There's still so much more to uncover. We know there's more. We know that you are always speaking, and that one day you will be fully known for who you are. We thank you that you chose to allow us to be part of that process and to enter into our inheritance even after we had forfeited it. Father, may we have the courage the wisdom, the insight, the understanding to be aware of what you're doing and saying at all times. Forgive us for when we don't. Forgive us for when we ignore. But Father, show us today how we as individuals and as a church can say yes and how we can have soft hearts that receive the seed of your word and that we can have discernment and perception and the ability to grasp and perceive what you're doing at all times, whether in a service or in a song or in a, a, a testimony or a sermon or a gathering or in anything. Thank you that you're omnipresent and you're omniscient. You see everything, you know everything that's going on. And we want to just say yes to you in a way that we've never have before. Show us the areas of our hearts and our lives where we've willfully or ignorantly said no. And forgive us. Forgive us, Father. Forgive our nation. Forgive us for where we as the church, we as a nation, we as individuals on every level have said no to you. And help us 
to just renew our minds. I thank you, Father, that we are, you didn't call us to have renewed minds. You called us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that comes from every word that proceeds out of your mouth on a daily basis. You haven't called us to live on yesterday's manna. You provide every day. But you also give specific words for specific situations like the two that I shared from our journey. God, I just want to declare and express that it points to so much more. And it's, it's, it's never a condemnation or a, a guilt trip to feel bad about the past, but it should always be a reaffirmation and a redeclaration that you are on your throne, you are working, you've got more in store, and if we will just say yes to you today, there's nothing that is impossible with you because it's about you and it's not without us. And we thank you for all the mysteries of your kingdom, for being a loving father, for giving good gifts, and we just say have your way in us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.